Friends, good morning. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege now to open God's Word together. If you want to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to read a section there you find on page 958. Summer is upon us. I hope you were able to pick up one of these uh, leaflets that will tell you more about all that's going on in the life of our church over these summer months. If you weren't here last week or weren't able to get one, there's plenty available in the tower entrance. Pick one up on your your way out. You'll see all sorts of fun activities starting tonight when we will have uh, an assortment of food trucks in the parking lots where you can come and I hear get the best hot dog in D.C. So that's a a big claim. If I come along, uh, eat at food trucks and then watch a movie together as a family, uh, in our fellowship hall, that's going to be a good time, uh, running all the way through to the end of August uh, with our church-wide retreat. So just wanted you to be aware of this, keep an eye on this, and come along to these things as you're able. Uh, one thing that's not on here that we did want to make you aware of was that next Sunday night is when Nathan Newman, our pastoral intern, will be no longer Nathan Newman, our pastoral intern, but Nathan Newman, our assistant pastor. Uh, he is going to be ordained and installed as the pastor here at the church, and that service will be part of the uh, five. 15 service next week. So if you want to come along and celebrate with us at that service, we would, we would love, to have you, love to have you there. And now though, let's give our attention to this section of God's Word, 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to start in verse 23 and read through to actually verse 1 of chapter 11. Let's give our attention to God's Word. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let No one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this section of your word and grateful for the way in which you communicate to us your desires for our freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ and the freedom that we can enjoy as a church this summer. So help us to reflect now on your word that the truth of it might impact our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you don't need me to tell you that we live in a nation that prizes and celebrates freedom. Prizes and celebrates freedom. In just a short time, we will celebrate Independence Day, commemorating those events of July 4th, 1776, when we kicked the British out and declared our independence from them. And I can almost say we, uh, I had my last interview for citizenship a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the questions they asked me was, why did the colonists come to America? And I answered with one word, I said, 
freedom. <laughs> and they said, you'll make a great American, right? <laughs> now, of course, as I hope a great Scot, I already understand the importance of freedom. And you know this because you've seen Braveheart, okay? <laughs> William Wallace coming to prominence as he leads uh, in the first war of Scottish independence. Not 1776, but 1296. Fought for 30 years against the English. And who can forget that scene where he stands uh, kilted, face painted, and says, says, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. In a wonderful Irish accent. <laughs> So close, Gibson, so close, you know? (laughs) Now, this call for freedom, this call of freedom, is one that uh, resonates in all our hearts, and, and it should, because it taps into a longing that God has placed within us. A longing to be free, a longing not to be enslaved, both physically, but spiritually also. And the passage we just read actually addresses this topic of freedom. Look at verse 25 where we begin to get some of the context here. Paul says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any ground on the uh, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, the background here, there's really two things going on. First of all, in the Old Testament, there have been all sorts of rules and dietary laws that the Israelites were to follow. These kosher laws, meats that you were allowed to eat, meats that you weren't allowed to eat, like pork and crab and and so on. So that's part of the background here. More specifically, though, here in Corinth, they're dealing with a very particular issue, which is the meat that was sold in the market... It came from animals that would also have been offered in idolatrous sacrifices. So these animals would have been used in pagan rituals, in pagan rites, in idolatrous sacrifices, and then later this meat would come and be sold in the market. And the question soon came up, well, as believers, should we buy this stuff? It's been used in such an un, for, for such ungodly reasons. It's been part of such an unholy activity. Is it, is it right for us to buy this meat? And what then if we get invited to dinner? What if we're invited to, to a dinner party and we show up and suddenly find out that we're being served meat that's been offered to an idol? What, what should we do in these circumstances? Will God be displeased with us if we eat from it after it's been used in something that was so against him? And Paul answers, you see it there? Eat whatever. Eat whatever. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's saying, understand, the gospel has come, and the gospel has freed us from past rules and regulations, and the gospel is not a new law. The celebration of the gospel is that Christ has come and fulfilled the law for us. Christ has come and he has lived a perfect life, the perfect life you and I could never live. He has kept every single one of his father's commandments. Not only has he fulfilled the law for us, he has also then died on a cross to take the punishment our law-breaking deserves. So the only one who never broke a law is the one who is then punished on our behalf for how we have broken the law. And he's saying, understand, understand, if you don't know Christ yet, that this is what the gospel is about. This is what Christianity is all about. This is what 
we are doing here week by week and, and working into our lives. This great celebration of the fact that you do not need to do anything to earn your salvation with God. That Christ has done everything that needed to be done so that you can receive it full and free. And that's so important to understand if, if, if you don't know Christ, that, that becoming a Christian isn't a burden, it's, it's freedom. But it's also important to remember if you do know Christ. Because how quick we are, having been freed, to return once more to a yoke of slavery. To start to live in a way as if God's pleasure with us, his uh, relationship with us, is dependent upon the things we have done instead of the things that he has done. All of us fall into this temptation. All of us have these tendencies to base our relationship with him upon our own performance. And Paul says, listen, loved by Christ, you are now free in Christ. Loved by Christ, you are free in Christ. Free from having to earn your salvation with him. But then he goes on to ask, okay, what should we do with this newfound freedom. We're free. We can eat whatever. Uh, we are uh, you know, safe in his arms. But how should we live in light of this newfound freedom? And Paul answers, verse 31, enjoy it to the glory of God. Enjoy the freedom you have to the glory of God. You see it there? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, what does it mean to to do something to God's glory? What does it mean to glorify something? Obviously, it can't mean that we make it more glorious. God God is himself uh, the definition of glory, whether we recognize it or not. No, it doesn't mean to make something more glorious. It means to, to recognize how glorious it already is. It means to celebrate it. You glorify something when you celebrate it. You glorify something when you enjoy it. So, to illustrate this, let's try something here. Everyone, pull out your phone, or if you're old school, pull out a pen, or if you're even older school, pull out a pencil from the pew rack in front of you. (laughs) And in your phone, make a note, or there's space in your worship guide to jot down. I I want you to write down, um, I'm going to give you a couple minutes, I want you to write down five things, five, or as close to five as you manage, that you enjoy about God. Five things you like about God. Five things you celebrate about God. Now, here's the only caveat. I want you to try and be as sort of specific as possible. Don't just say, you know, God is great and God is mighty and God is glorious. Say things like you really appreciate about God. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that. Let's go.
60 more seconds. Okay, so we've said that loved by Christ, we're now free in Christ, and we're to use this freedom to give glory to God. And the way that we do that, the way that we give glory to God is by enjoying him. So who wants to be brave? And tell me one of the things that you, you enjoy about God. While you're plucking up courage, I'm going to pick on Nathan Newman um, to, to tell us. One. What, what did you write, Newman? Okay. God cares about big things and the small things. Now, that's great, Ethan. Let's reflect on that a second. Isn't it glorious at the start of summer when there is approximately a thousand things to do and most of them are meant to be fun, right? Okay? But it can get kind of stressful with all the activities and all the travel and all the planning and all the trips and all the good things are happening. That We have a God who doesn't just care about the big things, he also cares about the small things. What's on your to-do list today? God cares about it more than you do. What's on your to-do list this summer? Your Lord cares about it more than, than, than you do. He doesn't leave you just to kind of make your own way through the details. He cares about them all. And so what happens here, as you enjoy that God is in control of the details, you start to be less concerned about your to-do list. Start to focus more on, oh, God, thank you for having these things. Thank you for being in control of these. Thank you for being in control of the details of my life. I'm no longer stressing. I'm enjoying him. And as I enjoy him, doesn't that make him look glorious? You see the connection between enjoying him and glorifying him. Another one. Let's go. Come on. Let's be brave. Yes. He loves you regardless. <laughs> it's the gospel, and it's, it's really, really good news. Because... All of us, every single day of our lives, do things that we think should forfeit God's love. Do things that, you know, if, we really, if, you, if you really know yourself, you know that, that God doesn't owe us love, doesn't owe us affection. But when we start to remember that he enjoys us regardless, what happens is we're not just wallowing in a place of guilt anymore. We're not just in this place of shame where we're just controlled by the ways in which we have failed, the ways in which we are broken. Our attention is being diverted to a great God who loves us as we are, not as we ought to be. Regardless of all these things, my attention, my affection is being directed towards him. I'm enjoying something about him, and now that makes him look glorious. Not my shame, his glory. You see the connection between enjoying him and glorifying him. Let's do another one. His creativity. Yes. Isn't that a beautiful thing about God? I, I really, I, I'm really with you on this because um, you know me enough to know, like, I am a language arts guy, okay? I am not a math and science guy, right? So if God communicated like an engineer, I'd be in trouble, right? I would, all men would be without hope, right? Um, I, I love that we have a God who has been lavishly creative in the world that he has made, but lavishly creative in the way that he communicates to us so that I don't need to feel bad about not being the engineer guy. And if you're the engineer guy, you don't need to feel bad about that either, right? But I don't need to feel bad about this because God communicates in ways that make sense to me, in ways that are life-giving to me, in ways that are, you know, um, uplift my soul. 
And so again, celebrating his creativity is taking me out of, out of a place of just kind of focusing on myself, enjoying something about him, giving him praise and thanks for it, and that makes him look glorious. You see, is this making sense, the connection between enjoying something and glorifying it? How do you glorify God? You enjoy him. You enjoy him. And that's what Paul's getting at when he says, verse 31, so, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Eat, drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So let's, let's eat to the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, this week a family from our church brought us dinner, okay? And they brought us barbecue, right? They brought more pulled pork than you thought any man could eat, and then I proved you wrong, right? <laughs> Um, and it wasn't just pulled pork, it was pulled pork with barbecue sauce. And then there was baked potato, but <laughs> twice baked potato, right? Whose idea was that, by the way, right? I'm going to bake a potato, I'm going to bake it again, right? I love whoever came up with that. That is brilliant. And then there was like lemon cake with this great um, sort of um, lemon dripping saucy stuff on top. And I was like, this is awesome. Now, what can I do? I can either be absolutely consumed in gluttony and just hammer all this down with no thought of the Lord. Or I can say, Lord... How is it that you created a world where pork tastes so good? And then gave men the creativity to come up with barbecue sauce. And then gave somebody that brilliant idea to bake a potato not once but twice. And you created a world with lemons and you created me with taste buds. And suddenly I'm enjoying your creativity and I'm enjoying something about you. And I'm not just eating, I'm eating to the glory of God. Amen? Right? See, that makes sense? Connection between enjoying and glorifying. How you drink to the glory of God. Nathan summed it up perfectly in his intro. Um, a cup of coffee. It's easy to get up in the morning and be dragging and slow and grumpy and sip on that coffee like, you know, just no one better talk to me till I'm finished with this cup of coffee, okay? Um, and just not really be thinking about the Lord. Or you can get up and you can say, oh, I feel tired, I feel slow. Lord, thank you for legal drugs, right? <laughs> Thank you for caffeine. Thank you for creating this thing that helps me get going in the day. You're a good God. I enjoy your creativity. And now I'm drinking to the glory of God. Right? You see, eating, drinking to the glory of God. Or, Paul says, whatever you do. Whatever you do, to all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, anything that you're doing, connect the dots from your experience to his hand. From what you're doing in that present moment to his goodness toward you, enjoy him in the mundane routine details of your lives and you will bring him glory. That's what you're to do with your freedom. The command of scripture is use your freedom to enjoy your God. Use your freedom to enjoy your God because when you enjoy God, you make him look glorious. But here's the kicker. Some of you are thinking, I knew there was going to be a but. I knew we couldn't be that free. Well, there is a but, but, but here's what it is. Remember I said, loved by Christ, you are free in Christ. Our ability to live out our freedom, to be free in Christ, is tied to our awareness of how loved we are by Christ. Our ability to live free is dependent upon our ability to, to our, our, our awareness of, of how much we are loved by Christ. So let me ask you to do something else. Pull out your phone again, and or your pen or your pencil. 
I want you to write down three things, only three this time. Not that you enjoy about God, but that God enjoys about you. We three things that God enjoys about you. And again, before we start writing, I want you to be super specific. Don't just say, he made me. He made me in his image. Yes, he did. And those things are great. But I want to know something that he enjoys about you that's different to how he enjoys the person next to you. Okay? What does he enjoy specifically about you personally? Take a couple of minutes to no looking at your neighbor, okay? Um, to write down three things you think God enjoys about you. Thirty more seconds. Okay, so I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna ask for any of these because it's a profoundly vulnerable thing, isn't it? But let me ask you this. Which was harder to do? First one or the second one? Second one. Isn't that interesting? The second one is, oh, first one, lots of things. Second one, ooh, hard, tricky, difficult. Diagnostically revealing of the fact that we find it very hard to believe that we're really loved by God. We have no problem believing that God loves. We have no problem believing that God loves the world or the church or some general sense. You probably have no problem believing that God loves the person next to you. In fact, you probably preferred that I'd ask, write down three things that God loves about the person next to you. We don't have a problem believing the gospel for other people. We have a problem believing the gospel for ourselves. Now, do you not think that there's a deep sadness in that? A deep sadness to the very heart of God. How would I feel if I, 
brought in my four wee ones right now, okay, and said to them, children, tell me something that I love about you. And they all said, <laughs> wouldn't that break my heart? <laughs> wouldn't I feel, ah, oh, wee ones, there's 10,000 reasons, <laughs> 10,000 things I love about each of you. And give me enough time and we'll work through them. Wouldn't it break your heart as a parent for your child not to know that you enjoyed them? And does the gospel not say the same about you? Does the father's heart not say the same about you and about, about I? Doesn't he long for us not just to enjoy him, but know that he enjoys us? And here's the point that I'm driving at. We have to dwell on this fact or we won't live like free people. Because if we don't know that God loves us, if we're not walking in an awareness of that, if we're not getting up and knowing that God is there like, yes, he's awake, right? It's time, it's time to go. Let's do this day. I have not been sleeping. I have not been slumbering. I've been preparing this day for you and it is time to go. I am ready. If we're not living in that awareness of his love, then we will fall into patterns of feeling like, uh, of trying to earn it. If we don't know that we already have it, we will do our best to earn it. We will fall into this pattern of relating to God, not on the basis of what he has done for us, but on the basis of what we must do for him. We will live with a sense of not being enough. We will live with an inner murmur of self-reproach. That says, well, I may be saved, but God, you know, he's still not really happy. God loves me, but he doesn't necessarily like me. And the news of the gospel is, that's not true. That's not true. We know the love of God, and it's made clear to us at the cross. The cross is a love letter that he delivers to his people with blood-stained fingerprints all over it. To assure them of his love for them. And having lived the perfect life and died that painful death, rising again victorious, ascending to heaven to rule and reign our lives, that we might live in an awareness of that love and enjoy him. Enjoy him. And as we enjoy him, we make him look glorious. So that's, that's my goal this summer. And that's a great goal for our church this summer. This vision of life is actually very, very central to the very heartbeat of our church. Front of your worship guide every single week. How does our vision statement begin? We exist to glorify and enjoy God. That's what, you know, that's what we're talking about. Um, not language we came up with. Old school language that's been central to the, the history of um, the Reformed faith since its very, very inception. That's what we want to be about. We want to be a people who are glorifying and enjoying God. So what do you have on this summer? Friends, cook out. And as you cook out, connect the dots to his hand. Enjoy him and give him glory. Eat ice cream, drink sweet tea. Connect the dots to his hand and enjoy him to his glory. Go on vacation and take a nap on the beach and jump in a lake and swim and connect the dots to his hand, enjoying him to his glory. Uh, you know, read a trashy novel. Go to a baseball game, spend time with friends, drink a glass of wine, dance as much as you can, play cards, eat as much pulled pork as you can manage. (laughs) Connect the dots to his hand 
enjoy him, and therefore give him glory. Friends, last sentence. Loved by Christ. You are free in Christ. So make the most of your freedom by enjoying him to his glory. It's better than Independence Day. It's even better than Braveheart. (laughs) Amen. Father, thank you for this time in your word. And uh, Lord, as we come to revisit this text next week as well, when we'll uh, think together about some of the responsibilities that accompany the uh, lavish freedom we have in Christ, we, we pray that we would first and foremost hear this gospel call, that we are loved by you and so we are free, free from having to earn your favor, free from having to make ourselves worthy in your sight, free instead to enjoy you and therefore make you look glorious. You are glorious, so help us live these lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.